Salutations, listeners. You're listening to another episode of the Dr. Jazz Podcast. And I'm your host, Nathan Holloway, your doctor for jazz. And it is our mission here at the Dr. Jazz Podcast to cure whatever it is that ails you through the power and the majesty of jazz music. In this episode, we are going to be taking a special spotlight on what I like to call jazzical music. And that's not to be confused with the Jazzy Gals and Schitt's Creek. We're going to leave that up to Moira and company. And maybe we'll all figure out how to fold in the cheese eventually. But no, this episode is actually uh, about jazz musicians taking on classical music themes. You see... I work for um, a company that basically deals with a lot of classical music. I mean, a lot of classical music. So, um, you can get into these weird conversations, you know what I mean? Uh, And I bring a different perspective, of course, to those conversations being a a big jazz guy. That's my mainstay. But um, in those conversations on Mahler and Shostakovich and Beethoven and Bizet and... Rachmaninoff and all those cats. I'm like, but have you ever heard this version of, you know, by this jazz guy? You know, they're all like, what? No, huh? So that's what our spotlight is today. I'm going to be bringing you 21 tracks of classical themes performed by and improvised on by jazz musicians and not just somewhat jazz musicians I'm talking about jazz giants and this is way beyond the whole Jacques Lussier plays Bach thing like that's nice and all but that's not at all what I'm shooting for on this episode so that's the that's the idea for the show okay so without further ado let's get to our Jazzical episode here on the Dr. Jazz podcast.
So that was, of course, the Hungarian dance number five from Brahms, as played by the Claude Thornhill Orchestra. And it comes off the album Best of the Big Bands, Claude Thornhill. And I know that's not giving you a lot, but don't forget that you can always check out our website and see the exact albums that we play each track off of. It's got all your episode information for each episode of the Dr. Jazz Podcast. So feel free to go to www.drjazzdrjazz podcast p-o-d-c-a-s-t all one word no spaces dr jazz podcast dot wordpress dot com and if you want to uh, follow us on twitter you can do that as well at n-d-h jazz and uh, that way you will know when every new episode of the dr jazz podcast drops and don't forget to share and spread the love of the Dr. Jazz Podcast with all your friends, so or any of them that may be interested in jazz. Uh, remember, you can find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, wherever you find your podcasts. So please subscribe, please like, and also, we'd love to hear from you. So don't be shy. So before Claude Thornhill playing Brahms, uh, we had a Tchaikovsky double feature, and... Before that, in the middle of the set, we heard Chet Baker featuring Russ Freeman. And we heard a tune that is more commonly known as Moon Love. But it's actually the theme from Tchaikovsky's Symphony No. 5. And uh, it's a beautiful melody. And it, it translates very well to Chet Baker's horn. So... Um, and once again, that's Chet Baker Quartet featuring Russ Freeman on the Pacific Jazz Records. Uh, a lot of great uh, original tunes and standards on that, plus Moon Love, which is the Tchaikovsky theme. And then we started out the set with the inimitable Duke Ellington. And we heard a tune that he calls Sugar Rum Cherry, which is actually his arrangement of the Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy from Tchaikovsky's Nutcracker Suite. And it comes from the Columbia Jazz Masterpieces series Duke Ellington, Three Suites, with an outrageously handsome houndstooth jacket that I would give my left arm for because, man, that looks like a smoking jacket, dude. That's awesome. Of course, the Duke was always so fashionable, so stylish, so debonair. Mm, man, if I could have that wardrobe, right? All right, so hopefully this gives you a taste of kind of like what you're in for for this episode. Um, there's lots of great classical composers out there, lots of great classical themes, and that no doubt served as inspiration to many jazz, big bands, combos, arrangers, etc. So, enough talking from me. Let's get to the next set of music. Don't go anywhere. You are listening to the Jazzical episode of the Dr. Jazz Podcast. <laughs> Thank you. 
Ah, yes. A nice little big band triple feature right there for all of y'all. So, of course, that was the great TD. Not talking about touchdowns, talking about Tommy Dorsey and his orchestra playing Song of India, which is a big hit for him back in the day, you know, back in the big band era. Um, Of course, Tommy Dorsey was one of the two Dorsey brothers that made, you know, uh, very, very popular big bands back in the day. His brother Jimmy uh, had quite a number of hits as well. Uh, But Tommy Dorsey, great trombone player, playing the uh, theme there to the Song of India by Rimsky-Korsakoff. So, yeah, a lot of big band guys really did love uh, using classical themes as these transformative vehicles, you know, so. And maybe it was just because that was really the only two kinds of music, you know, there was... Well, I'll take that back. There was blues, you know. So there was blues, there was jazz, which is the pop music of the day. And there was classical music. That was about it. So, obviously, it was uh, a fresher take on familiar classics for them. Uh, Before that, we heard some Wagner by the great Stan Kenton. And it comes from his album, Kenton Wagner, in which it's an entire album dedicated to the works of Wagner, and uh, I I can't think of anybody more perfect than Stan Kenton to take that on, to be honest with you, but uh, nonetheless, we heard Ride of the Valkyries, bongos, congas, and all, and I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm pretty safe to say what I'm about to say, and I don't think there's any other podcast out there today where you will find Wagner with bongos played by a big band. Just saying. That's what you get here. You get the odd and the beautiful all at the same time. Yeah. Strange. But novel. There you go. Uh, And then we, of course, we started off the set with the Carnival of Venice by the great Paganini. You may have known it better when you were a kid in school as, you know, know, my hat, you know, it has three corners, you know, and all that other stuff. But it is actually the Carnival of Venice by the great uh, Paganini, as played by Harry James and his orchestra. Yeah, I'm bringing Harry James to y'all. What do you think about that? And, of course, he shows immense trumpet chops on that. So, you know, I don't, I don't care if you think that um, the vibrato is a little cheesy, because it is, but it was the big band era. But the technique is there, man. Like, Harry James could play. You know, I mean, he can also sway the vibrato too, but dude had chops. Dude had chops. Otherwise, Benny Goodman would have never hired him. So there you go. Um, interesting fact about the Carnival of Venice. Um, you know, it occurs uh, in, you know, as, as you may know, in Italy, but it's also like the precursor to Mardi Gras. I mean, think about it just for a minute. There's floats, there's parades. There's masks, there's decadence and debauchery, (laughs) and of course, you know, there's lots of great food and wine. So who in the hell, if if I were given that description, wouldn't think that that was Mardi Gras New Orleans, right? So, you know, I'm a little uh, biased towards carnival season, and um, of course, you know, Brazil has the same sort of thing, so, you know, there you go. It's everywhere, but... Needless to say, um, if y'all have listened to the pod- podcast long enough, you know my affinity for all things Nolans. So, 
Uh, but yeah, it was a nice, uh, getting back to the set there, it was a nice um, triptych of big band music. Harry James, Stan Kenton, and Tommy Dorsey for you. All on the theme of classical music in jazz. Now, this next one is not so big bandy. There's uh, there's some meat to this upcoming one, and uh, it's it's kind of different. So stick around. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Doctor Jazz Podcast. <laughs> Thank you. 
<laughs> oh, we always love to surprise all of our listeners. So that was actually the third movement, the Titan movement from Mahler's Symphony Number no. 1, which, of course features the Frere Jaca theme, the, you know, Are You Sleeping, um, but in minor. And um, that's what was, you know, Mahler was kind of known for, uh, for that symphony movement. And the great Uri Kane, oh my God, um, he's got an entire, like, two albums uh, strictly dedicated to Mahler's music. And this comes from the Winner and Winner uh, labels album, the Yuri Kane Ensemble, Gustav Mahler and Toblach. I went out this morning over the countryside, and it is uh, a gray cover with a yellow emblem, and it is just incredible music to hear Mahler, you know, taken in the hands of Uri Kane and his and his ensemble to not only exhibit elements of free jazz, uh, some kind of rock-tinged grooves, but also just the pure beauty of bringing a full klezmer (laughs) sensibility to it. That's what's just, oh, it's it's a special piece of music, and I'm so glad that I could share it with y'all. And it comes from the the second disc. It's a two-disc set, you know, um, and man... Yeah, it's good stuff. Really good stuff. It's just it just randomly picks different themes by Mahler and all throughout the album and I can't recommend it highly enough. So and you know, I was lucky enough I got to see Uri Kane play with Eric Friedlander uh in New York at the the Stone at NYU and it was incredible music. Um yeah. It, just incredible, incredible music and um he Hurricane is a consummate musician. So, yeah. Got to highly 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 recommend that. Uh before that, in the set we heard in the hall of the Mambo King. <laughs> uh no doubt uh a nod to uh Edvard Grieg in the Hall of the Mountain King, but we got to hear Machito and his orchestra, his Afro-Cuban salseros. Uh, from the album Mucho Macho. <laughs> man, you just got to love some of that, that you know, that Afro-Cuban stuff, man. But then you get, you know, the Greek melody of In the Hall of the Mountain King mixed with Mambo, and it, I don't know, it's perfect marriage of rhythm in my head. So there you go. Uh, good, good, good stuff. Because if you can turn anything into a Mambo, hell, let's do it. You know what I mean? And then we opened up with um, Miserere by Gregorio uh, Allegri. And you may actually, it was, it was pretty straight for the most part. There wasn't any jazz to it. That's not the surprise. Uh, the surprise comes in the fact that it was actually played by the great Jelly Roll Morton. Yeah. Jelly Roll Morton played that on solo piano and it comes from his library of congress recordings volume one kansas city stomp um of course that was recorded by the great alan lomax and there is a whole bunch of stuff in those library of congress recordings some 
blue languaged blues, so to speak, uh, jazz tunes, stories, um, bloviations by the great Billy Roe Morton. And then there's also tunes like that by, uh, like the Miserere, um, done beautifully, I might add. And, you know, keep this in mind. Jelly Roll was, he, he predated Duke Ellington. So, you know, Duke was born in 1899, right at the turn of the century. But supposedly, Jelly Roll Morton was born about 1885. So, uh, and of course, he grew up in New Orleans, which is a port town. But at the time that he grew up, you know, uh, you know, keep in mind also that Jelly Roll was also the one who claimed that he invented jazz, which he was the first to really put down a lot of those New Orleans tendencies on paper, and that's what makes him very, very, very important to the history of the music. But um, if you want more on that, go check out the Jelly Roll Morton podcast that I did a while back. But there is, um, it, it should be known that, you know, New Orleans being a port town, was like a major hub of activity and and it was really divided into three classes of citizens at the time but the jelly roll was you know coming up there were the white class there was the creole class and there was the black class and um despite all three race racial classes that there was in new orleans um they all three had their own like opera houses. So there was a black opera house, a Creole opera house and a white opera house. So you could just walk through the city and hear throughout the city and hear, you know, all three playing music. You know what I mean? So, um, there's no doubt that these kind of classical themes were being heard everywhere. And, um, yeah. And so it, all that, is mixed into the soul, the musical soul, the gumbo of, of who Jelly Roll Morton was. So I think that's important to keep in mind that it wasn't just habanera rhythms and what he called the Spanish tinge and all those blues coming up like with Buddy Bolden and things like that, Sidney Bechet, Louis Armstrong, King Oliver, Freddie Kephart. It wasn't just that. It was also that, 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 having that, that, that sensibility of those classical themes, those opera themes, etc., in the back of your head, you know? So all of that mixed together is what makes Jelly Roll's musical soul, which is really cool. So I'm glad I got to share that with y'all. Um, don't forget, you can find the Dr. Jazz Podcast wherever you find your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher. Be sure and like us. Uh, if you can, if you got a lot of time on your hands, feel free to write a review on Apple Podcast. It always helps. And um, thank you all for listening. Uh, don't forget, you can check out our website, too, for all album cover information and song titles. Uh, that's Dr. Jazz Podcast, D-R-J-A-Z-Z Podcast.WordPress.com. It's new. It's improved. It's revamped. So hopefully... That gives you some cool stuff to take a look at. Also, you can follow us on Twitter, at NDHJazz. And that way, you know every time a new episode of the Dr. Jazz Podcast drops. So, you can stay up to speed. Alright, uh, without further ado, let's get to another set of great music. Music. <laughs> 
All right. So that, of course, was the Anvil Chorus, originally written by Giuseppe Verdi for Il Trovatore and um, fully realized by none other than the Glenn Miller Orchestra. So <laughs> there you have it. Um, yeah, and I mean, it's one of the most iconic themes in classical music. And it actually works for that arrangement very well for a big band. So there you go. Um, yeah, it's actually tastefully done. I mean, I don't think everything Glenn Miller touches is tastefully done. You know what I mean? But that one very, that one really was. So there you have it. Uh, before that, <laughs> La Cathedrale and Glouti, the sunken cathedral by none other than Claude Debussy. Uh, it was a prelude written by Debussy in 1910, and we heard an arrangement by none other than John Zorn in Naked City. So I'm sure Debussy never in his weirdest, wildest imagination would have thought that 80 years after he wrote that, that <laughs> a composer in his own right would have a hardcore jazz metal band that would cover Debussy. But it was tastefully done, too. So there wasn't, you know, the typical or stereotypical Zorn squeals and squawks and everything like that. John Zorn, Bill Frizzell, Joey Barron, Wayne Horvitz, and Fred Frith gave it a very respectful treatment. So, uh, yeah, and I just love the fact that I can punch in John Zorn's Naked City and Glenn Miller side by side, and yet there is still a connecting thread between the two. So there you go. And we started off the uh, the set with one of my favorite uh, little pieces of light classical music, if you will. It's The Syncopated Clock by the great Leroy Anderson. And if you're like, Leroy Anderson, why does that name sound familiar? Well, if you've heard Sleigh Ride, you've heard Leroy Anderson. So there you have it. Uh, he actually wrote it in 1945, but we got to hear the arrangement by Bernie Layton and his Men of Music, and this actually comes off the Chronological Classics album of Buck Clayton, who played with that band, uh, and it's from 1949 to 1953, so it literally was coming off the heels of just being, I mean, I don't think the ink was dry on <laughs> Leroy Anderson's arrangement and composition of The Syncopated Clock before uh, Bernie Layton and his men of music decided to go ahead and do it. Apparently it was that popular. And there you go. So, yeah. So we had a little bit of light classical mixed in there too. So, um... So we've got uh, a little bit more serious music uh, coming in this next go-round. Um, although I think that was a pretty damn good set, to be honest with you. I mean, the fact that we can mix, you know, Bernie Layton, John Zorn, and Glenn Miller all on the same thing. That's pretty remarkable, if you ask me. So, And once again, where else are you going to find Glenn Miller and John Zorn in the exact same set of music? Here, the Dr. Jazz Podcast. Don't go anywhere.
gorgeous, gorgeous music. <clears throat> of course, that was the incomparable Miles Davis with the Gil Evans Orchestra playing Rodrigo's Concerto de Ranwez from the seminal album Sketches of Spain. The whole album is fantastic. It, if you've by any chance not heard the entire album, do yourself a favor. Go out right now. Do not pass. Go. Do not collect $200. Go on Amazon. Go to your local record store. Whatever you need to do. But grab yourself a copy of Sketches of Spain. Trust me. You won't be sorry. Um, yeah, just gorgeous Spanish themes there. It was originally written for Spanish guitar. But Miles and Gil took that and said, what if we did it for trumpet instead of guitar? And they're like, well, yeah, okay, let's try that, you know. And all of that entire album was inspired by uh, Francis, Francis Taylor, Miles' wife at the time, uh, an incredible dancer. Um, and um, she took him to go hear... Spanish, you know, Spanish music, and he w immediately went to the record store and like ate up all that he could. You know, he was like, um, he was like checking out Defaye, you know, what I mean, El Amor Brujo, and he was checking out Rodrigo, Spanish guitar music, and boleros, and you know, all these different things. And the he immediately, after like after immersing himself into that this kind of like Spanish classical and, and Spanish guitar music was calling Gil going hey Gil what can we do man you know we need to do some of this Spanish shit right here you know and you know and they had already collaborated before on Miles Ahead Birth of the Cool Porgy and Bess so this seemed like the next step and the result is just pure gorgeous music that we all can enjoy Ah. Uh, Definitely one of the greatest classical inspirations into jazz that made a killer jazz record. Uh, and that's what we're talking about this episode of the Dodge Jazz Podcast is what I like to call jazzical music. So it's classical music that is serves as inspiration for jazz music. And um, before that, we heard another fantastic uh, Arrangement and adaptation, if you will, uh, of Sergei Rachmaninoff's Vocalese. But we heard the great Paul Desmond on the alto saxophone uh, play this incredible arrangement by Don Sebesky, out of all folks, um, in a 70s arrangement of Rachmaninoff's Vocalese. And if you're not sure, you know, if you can't put your finger on Paul Desmond, you're like, where have I heard that saxophone sound before? Well, Paul Desmond was most notably famous for not only being the saxophone player for the Dave Brubeck Quartet, but for also writing the, the groundbreaking uh, pop tune in 5-4 time, Take 5. So that's probably where you've heard Paul Desmond before if you can't put your finger on it. Uh, but here he's really just milking all the emotion out of Rachmaninoff's vocalese, and it's just a gorgeous arrangement by the great Don Sebesky. Um, before that, we heard Dvorak's Humoresque for piano, 
by none other than the under I don't want to say that he's underrated I just think that he's underrated today I, you know but we can get into that in a minute the great legendary Art Tatum you know Art Tatum you know he doesn't get a lot of um, attention as much today as he did back you know in the day but this is a guy who was the inspiration for Oscar Peterson this is a guy that made Oscar Peterson cry as a kid because Oscar Peterson hurt him and he cried saying, I'm never going to be able to be that good. And sure enough, with enough practice and enough dedication, blood, sweat, and tears, Oscar Peterson became a giant of the jazz idiom. So, but Oscar, but Art Tatum was, you know, he was legally blind. You know, he could, he could see, you know, somewhat, but he'd have to like, you know, hold the cards like right up to his eye whenever he was playing cards. But because he was legally blind, you know, he really couldn't see very well. And he learned how to play piano in Toledo, where he was born, Toledo, Ohio. And um, he put his fingers on the piano that was a player piano when he was a kid. And that's how he learned how to play the piano. He basically just, you know, figured out the muscle memory from where the keys depressed from those piano rolls and those player pianos. Well, that's great and all. Except that the, the, the piano rolls that his, his family had for the piano were for dueling pianos. So in case you miss what I just said, he had piano rolls that were of two pianos playing at the same time. So he was literally trying to go 88 keys on a piano times two. That's where his fingers would lay and that's where he, he found the muscle memory in order to learn how to play piano. So that's really what gave... Um, from a very early age, Art Tatum, his technical wizardry on the keys is that he was playing two pianos at the same time. And, yeah, if you're a young kid trying to learn piano, that would make me cry too. So, uh, But what we get is this beautiful uh, skill and taste within the jazz idiom taking on Dvorak and humoresque. And, yeah... And we're all better for it. So, viva Art Tatum. Viva Tatum. There you go. All right. I'm going to stop talking now and get to the next set. We got some Mozart. We got some Bizet. And, of course, some Gershwin. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Dr. Jazz Podcast. <laughs> Thank you. 
All righty, righty, righty. So, of course, that was Gershwin's classic. Oh, it's so good. Rhapsody in Blue. And if you were taking bets with anybody who knows me, you'd probably lose that bet because when I said Gershwin, they're thinking, okay, Rhapsody in Blue, and it's probably going to be Paul Whiteman, right? Yeah, 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 because that's who Gershwin wrote it for, right? Yeah, 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 it's Dr. Jazz. Yeah, he's going to play, he's going to play, it's Gershwin, it's Paul Whiteman, that's what he's going to play. Wrong, wrong, so wrong. We heard that beautiful mambo arrangement. It's just so gorgeous with the strings. It really is. And the rhythm, too. And the piccolo. Oh, man. So, yeah, I mean, we don't get the, the clarinet scoop, but we, we get uh, a piccolo version and a mambo version by the great king of the mambo himself, the inventor of the mambo, Israel Cachao Lopez. And who doesn't love Cachao, right? Come on. It's Gachow, it's Mambo, it's Gershwin, it's Rhapsody in Blue. How could you go wrong? You can't. And what we got was a gorgeous example and arrangement of it. Mm, so good. Which kind of uh, was a great palate cleanser from the 1975 shaft-laden, funk, groovy <laughs> arrangement of Ferrandol uh, by Bizet. And uh, that was uh, in the hands of Bob James. And it comes off of his uh, album, Two. That's when he was going like one, two, three, four, et cetera, you know. So, uh, and by the way, if that was your bag, you know, which I'm just here to give you this smorgasbord of it all, you know, that that's that's my job, right? But if that was your bag with the wah-wah guitars and the, the funky clavichords and the, the funky, funky, junky, you know, that sort of thing um, with Bob James, then you will be happy to know that if you check out the entire Bob James catalog, one, two, three, four, heads, nightcrawler, all that stuff, right, that he has a ton of it. I think there's even one, like, um, of I think he it's just called Ludwig, you know, but uh, uh, it's from one of his symphonies, and then there's uh, I think an arrangement that Bob James does of Swan Lake. So I mean I was just literally like, okay, wh- what's you know what wh- what what can I do here? <laughs> you know? And it was just too many of them. So uh, if that's your bag and you dug the theme from Verandol by Bob James in the middle of that set, go check you out some Bob James seventy catalog. You will be in hog heaven no doubt about it uh and then of course we started off the set with mozart's symphony number 40 the theme from the first movement one of my favorite mozart symphonies if not the favorite and we got to hear the king guitar himself grant green from his album visions on blue note we got to hear it's grant green it's mozart what can go wrong you know what i mean and it's a little cheesy at times, but it's, it's I, I believe it's like the only version, like by a major jazz superstar, of Mozart's Symphony 40. So, I don't know. It's my favorite Mozart. Grant Green's one of my favorite guitar players. And I just wanted to share it with y'all. So, if you're interested in finding out more of this information, don't forget. All you got to do is go to our website. It's new. It's improved. 
So it's got the tracks right next to the album art. So hopefully this helps out. I've listened to, you know, your suggestions, all you faithful listeners, and I have tried to adapt as best as possible. So a nice shout out would be nice. So if you dig it, remember that website is Dr. Jazz Podcast, D-R-J-A-Z-Z Podcast. No spaces, right? Dot WordPress dot com. And remember, you can find our podcast, the Dr. Jazz Podcast, wherever you find your podcasts, whether that's Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and the like. Don't forget to subscribe, and if you got time to write a review on Apple Podcasts, it sure would help. Also, if you'd like to follow us on Twitter to know when each new episode of the Dr. Jazz Podcast drops, not a problem. All you got to do is find us at NDH jazz and we'd love to hear from him so we got one more set coming at you you know it's going to be great music because that's what we aim to do we aim to please and cure whatever it is that ails you so let's get to it
Thank you.
Jackson, what's that you're playing, Pops? Well, you know, it's very interesting how a song is born. Can't you kind of jazz it up a little? They took the tune and the words right from the mockingbirds. And that's how a song was born. And then a soft evening breeze hummed through the willow trees. And that's how a song was born. The tingling rain from the sky became a lullaby. And the blues must have come from a side, from a side. When two hearts beat in time, old bluebells began to chime. And that's how a song was born. That's a good deal, Jackson. I guess how jazz was born. They took a great jungle beat, brought it to Basin Street. That's how jazz was born. And then someone played a whale all up and down the scale. And that's how jazz was born. They simply played what they liked as long as it would fit. If it just had a beat, that was it. And then a horn gave a scream. They took it as a theme. And as I landed on. You gotta end with pops. You gotta end with pops. Hmm. That was the lovely, wonderful Satchmo, Louis Armstrong, with a song was born, which featured not only him on the trumpet and vocals, but also the great trombonist Jack Teagarden on vocals and on trombone. And of course, a song was born, and how jazz is born. Uh, that was actually going home from the New World Symphony by Dvorak and it was featured in the movie um, A Song Was Born and which is a great film starring Danny Kaye by the way and Virginia Mayo if you haven't seen it it also stars Benny Goodman and a mustache uh, as a classical music professor Louis Armstrong 
Lionel Hampton, Tommy Dorsey, Charlie Barnett, Mel Powell. I mean, it's just, it's so good. It's one of those old time classic movies and you get to see a lot of like big band stars. And of course, how could you go wrong with Benny Goodman, Louis Armstrong, Lionel Hampton and Danny Kaye? Come on, man. So it's fun. It's a good time. You owe it to yourself to watch it at least once. Um, and then before that, we heard Samuel Barber's gorgeous composition, Adagio from Adagio for Strings, played by the great Charlie Hayden and Carla Blay with the Liberation Music Orchestra from their album, Not in Our Name. It was their political album uh, in response to President George W. Bush and his handling of the country at the time. Boy, if we only had a mirror into the crystal ball into the future, right? Yikes. Anyway, we started off the set with the hyper-melodic Bill Evans from his album, The Bill Evans Trio with Symphony Orchestra. We heard Blue Interlude, which is a piece by Chopin arranged by the great Klaus Ogerman. Hmm, good stuff. Once again, if you want all the albums so you know exactly what to order or go hunt for in your record shop, just go to the website. We've got all the details there. We've revamped it to make it a whole lot more user-friendly for y'all. Okay? DrJazzPodcast.wordpress.com. All right? So thank you all for listening. We do appreciate it. Uh, hopefully you've enjoyed our going down the rabbit hole of jazzical music. So... Uh, yeah, we love every each and every one of y'all madly. So, uh, as Duke said, we do love you madly. So, until next time, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Y'all be good now, because in jazz, we trust.